I'm glad I put on my walking boots for this walk because the ground here in the forest, not far from where I live, is uh, now covered in brown golden leaves. Uh, but there is also the occasional pool and there is quite a bit of mud from the rain we've had. And I'm now walking on the property of uh, De Bourne, it says here. Welcome to uh, the land of the Bourne. You can be here between sunrise and sunset. Don't litter. And please keep clear of the office and the surrounding garden. And it's not allowed to make a fire or to camp out. I was not planning on doing that because I've got my own little hobbit hole <laughs> just around the corner here. But I'm exploring this part of, uh, of the woods. And if I walk to the northeast... I can literally walk for hours and hours and hours and only be in nature. This is one of the massive advantages of my new town. It borders on the Veluwe, which is a huge um, nature reserve in the center of the country. And it's absolutely gorgeous. It's mostly woods here, although I've seen some patches of, of moors, so moorland, um, which reminds me of the place where... Um, where I used to walk, do my walks, where you also had um, areas with, uh, with beautiful heather and that sort of stuff. So it's extremely varied, and uh, I'm thankful that it's not raining right now, uh, because this is great weather for, for a stroll. Where to begin? Well, of course, I need to catch you up on what happened in Rotterdam last Sunday, <laughs> where I ran another marathon. I stopped counting at one point how many I ran in my life. But I do remember it started pretty early on when I was working as a priest in Amersfoort. Just came back, back from, from Rome and I needed to get into shape. And so I started running and I did a first half marathon. And then quickly after my first half marathon, I decided if I can do this, then it's only a, a little bit of extra effort to run a full marathon. And since then, I, I've been hooked. But as you know, um, it's been a while since I ran my last marathon. I think it is about two years ago. And uh, the last marathon was in Amsterdam. And the marathon before was Rotterdam. And that one was a disaster. I did not train enough back then. I remember it was a warm day. This was Usually this marathon is in, in the month of May. Um, and I skipped a few um, drinking posts, so I got dehydrated. I think it caused all sorts of problems, mus muscle cramps, and I just had a very, very bad um, memory of that last time I ran it in Rotterdam. So I, I tried to kind of compensate for that by running the Amsterdam Marathon, which I'd never done before, and which is really great. Uh, let me turn to the... Well, let's just continue a little bit more eastwards before I turn right. I hope I can find a way back because this is all new to me. I've really not walked here that much in this in this area, uh, nor did I do my my running here. I usually went to the more flat countryside and sometimes the hills around Wageningen. So this is uh, uncharted territory for me. Um, and Amsterdam is, is great because you start in the center uh, of the city in the Olympic Stadium and then you you run through not really the center of Amsterdam that would be impossible because there's <laughs> there are too many tourists there and too much traffic but still you go to the uh, Rijksmuseum and uh, and then you run outside so you're really in the uh, Dutch countryside it's beautiful there and for that marathon I did train reasonably well plus it's a very flat marathon Rotterdam can be hilly and there are some bridges and stuff um, and wind let's not forget about that because of course Rotterdam is near the sea as a harbor city so the weather can be a little bit more adverse to running than it is in in Amsterdam even though that's also a port of course it's it's more <laughs> kind of protected by the city and um, it's not the same so that was a really great run. And I back then I ran my fastest time ever. Ooh, what is that? It's a dog. Hey, doggy. Don't jump up to me. No, 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 no. We're not doing that. Go obey. 
Ah, no, no. I'm not gonna play with you. No, no, no. He's looking at my microphone. He thinks it's a toy. No, it's not a toy, dude. It's not a toy. Okay, he's not very trying. I think it's a young dog. No. Now he's walking with me. Dude, I'm working here. <laughs> no, and then he's, yeah, he's definitely, he thinks I'm a, I, I want to play with him and I'm going to throw this microphone so he can go retrieve it. You hear that whistling sound? I think that's his boss. But, uh, yeah, he, he thinks I'm way more interesting than his boss. So I think this is just a puppy. And, uh, yeah, he keeps... Uh, no! No! No, don't bite my microphone. Go there. Go. No! No, sit. No! No. He really thinks it's a, it's a toy. No! Listen. Go there. Go there. Now he's just waiting for me to throw something. That's your owner, not me. No, no. I'm just going to walk towards his owner. Uh, no, I don't have anything. Dude, he thinks I'm going to feed him or... I don't know. I've become a cat person. I really am not used to... I'm just going to walk up to her and explain that he's going to... He thinks my microphone is a toy. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> ik denk dat hij denkt dat dit een, uh, een speelgoedje is of zo. Dus hij, hij zit de hele tijd naar te kijken van ga hem gooien, ga hem gooien, ga hem gooien. Ja, sorry voor het springen. Nee, dat maakt niet uit. Hij is nog jong denk ik, of ja, niet? vijf maanden. Vijf maanden, is vijf, vijf months old. Ik uh-huh. reageer ze wel op mijn fluitje, maar ik ja. denk dat ze dat wel heel interessant Ja, dat is natuurlijk gewoon super spannend. Ja. En, uh, en het is zo'n bos met speelkameraadjes. Maakt niet uit, maar ik denk ik loop even terug voordat ik hem er helemaal ja, meeneem. Moet ik rennen, hè? Want ik had al zo meteen ben ik te kwijt. Ja, ja, ja. ja, ja. Dat, dat is mijn grootste angst, hoor. Ja, natuurlijk, ja. Dat ja, dan, goed. ja nee. Het is hier wel veilig, natuurlijk. Ja, maar... dat weet ik wel. Maar als je een hond alleen ziet ja. en het baasje zie je nergens. Ja, ja, ja. En dan gaat die hond in één keer terug naar het baasje. En dan moet ik er ook aan trainen. Nou, succes. Ja, Sterk te trainen. As I expected, this was a young dog. Uh, she's five months old. And this lady is still training her. And so she went to the woods because it's safer to walk a dog here, of course, uh, rather than close to the to the road. But she was still a bit freaked out that she wasn't listening to the, the whistle. Um, and, well, she agreed with me that probably this microphone with the... I've got the the dead cat on top of it, of course. So it looks like a toy, or it looks like an animal. Um, that, you know, it, I'm way more interesting than she was. <laughs> oh, wow, it's muddy here. But, uh, oh, well. I can tell by the way the dog is handling her, even when she had a, so she attached a leash to, to the dog. Um, the dog wasn't listening at all, was constantly pulling. Well, I've seen enough... Oh, what? sorry, that's my phone. <laughs> I've got the tracker on. And I thought I turned down the audio, but apparently I turned it on again. Okay, let me just uh, lower the volume here. <laughs> One cannot really podcast in peace here today. Oh, well. So I tamed my phone now. But I, I saw a lot of instructional videos on how to uh, do obedience training with dogs and, well, this is not the way to do it. <laughs> anyway, oh, there's another big dog. But uh, that's a hunting dog, actually, I think. Let's hope it's not in the mood for playing. Because I totally lost my track of <laughs> my train of thought. <laughs> it's so funny. I mean, dogs are, are wonderful. And there's the, the way this young dog was looking at me... Uh, it's hard to resist. I mean, I was ready to pick up a stick and then throw it away. But that would have made it worse, of course. So I, I've learned that the best way is to um, ignore the dog and look straight ahead. And if the dog jumps up, to, to stop, stand still, and then just keep it very simple. Just no. And fortunately, she did sit down. But then the moment I started moving again, she jumped up. Oh, well... Dogs are like like people. They they definitely need some training to learn how to behave. Ah, uh, where was I? 
was talking about the marathon. Anyway, so the marathon of Amsterdam, I, back then, this is before COVID, I ran it in a record time. And I was so proud of that. And when I started to train, that was going to be my end time. And, uh, but of course, I, I know I've enough experience to know that you can always plan for something. You can train for something. But to actually pull it off, there are way too many circumstances during a race like this. Um, you can have a bad night's sleep. You can have a cramp. There can be so many things that can thwart that goal. That um, uh, I, I was like, I'm just going to go in there uh, with optimism and, I'm, I've, I've, and, and confidence. I never felt so sure of myself. I, 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 like, I, I really followed the training to the letter. I trained five days per, per week. And I did all the long runs towards the end. I even forced myself to rest more than what's prescribed, knowing that that has been my pitfall in all those years before, that I did not allow my body to, um, to get ready to, to kind of save strength for the actual race. And this time I did absolutely no running the week before. And that was good because, of course, it was also the week that I was moving so I was busy enough as it was, and there was a lot of other physical... Wow, look at that tree. It's full of mushrooms. Oh, wow, that looks really gorgeous. Of course, it's dead. Otherwise, these, these uh, mushrooms wouldn't be growing on it. But it almost looks like a, you know, one of those climbing walls where they have uh, multicolored pieces of plastic where you can hold on to to climb the tree that's what it looks like but then this is nature's version of that and i think it's not really meant for human beings to climb <laughs> maybe maybe gnomes could do that but um i um i i was confident that my body could do it and uh that was that's a huge difference i'm, I'm starting to learn things in life you know so the, the, the difficult thing of, of Rotterdam was um, it's not close by. I have to go by train. You can't really go there by car on a day like that because there are tens of thousands of people uh, in the city. So it's, it, it, it would be totally clogged up. And then, of course, you still need to go from your car to the beginning of the race. It's much easier to just go by train. But what made it so difficult to 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 decide what to do was that the temperature was going to drop to below zero uh, below zero celsius so it was a clear night and they had predicted nice weather blue skies but of course around this time of the year temperatures really plummet and i i followed the the forecast the weather forecast very closely um on saturday and they told us uh, they told me that it is it, at around 10 when that was the moment of the of the start of the race temperatures would be around 12 degrees and then they would probably go up to about 15 degrees later on in the afternoon it's kind of you know 12 degrees that's that's okay but um, I had to leave home at six in the morning and back at that time, it was still four degrees, so it was freezing. And of course, I, you know, what are you going to wear? I did not want to, uh, or I, actually, I was not able to bring my clothes, my regular clothes, with me because apparently, when you uh, sign up for the race, you have to um, select the option, and you have to pay for that to do a, a baggage drop-off. And for some reason, I, this is two, more than two years ago that I signed up for this race. I totally overlooked that. And so I saw on Saturday when I went to Rotterdam to pick up my, my bib number, so the starting number, um, I inquired and they told me, oh, well, no, if you have not reserved your, uh, your spot for the, for the bag, bag drop-off, then you'll have to just leave it with someone else. And <laughs> I was traveling alone. So I, uh, I'm joining a path here. I think this is um, one of those concrete biking lanes that they have created in the woods. It's not the prettiest, 
but it is really nice if you're on a bike instead of uh, plowing through the mud to have this nice concrete superhighway through the forest. Um, so uh, I, the thing is, I, 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 if I would go in just shorts and a t-shirt in four degrees, that is also costing you a lot of energy because you're freezing, obviously, because you're not running before the race. And then with that, because you're burning so much energy, that would also negatively affect probably my overall condition. So I decided to um, to wear thermal underwear over my clothes. So I, 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 I put on my, my running shirt and, 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 and trousers, shoes, and then I, I, I have these black, I think it's nylon or something like that. It's really warm. And uh, you can wear that anywhere. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to abandon it by the side of the road. And, well, it's a couple of bucks anyway. It's not very expensive. And I'm sure that they will pick it up and recycle it because that's what they've done last year. Actually, the um, the shirt that you get, the running shirt for this particular 40th edition of the marathon, they were made of, of uh, repurposed um, fabric that was retrieved from all the stuff that the runners left the year before. So they're recycling all the jackets and stuff, and, and they make new shirts out of that. That's pretty cool. So um, anyway, I arrived, thankfully, in time. There were no, uh, no issues with the train ride. Um, it's a bit crowded, but everybody wears masks in uh, public transport. So I felt okay. And then, of course, you get you line up for the race. I had to do a um, a television interview, so so a journalist called me literally like right before I was going to bed. Like, can I come and see you tomorrow with my crew and do a short interview? I was like, sure, <laughs> if you can find me, that is. And so, um, while I was looking for the for my place to start, um, they were looking for me, and of course, there was this loud noise and music from speakers so it was almost impossible for them to hear me on the phone so thankfully they they um they they knew where i was because i i gave them some pointers you know this is there is a um what is it uh a light tower nearby there's a small harbor that's where i am so they found me right in time and then the the countdown started and then with the countdown came this blaring music and they were like, oh, we need to do the interview. So I was like, but I, I you know, when I got to go, I got to go. You know, I, I only have a few minutes left and then I'm going to run this marathon. So thankfully, at one point, like the, the wave before us departed and then they lowered the music and we could just squeeze in the interview, which was just one minute, but it was fun. And I, I got, I mean, they wanted to interview this running priest that they heard of. And I was able to tell them about the fact that uh, uh, for me this was special because I... Uh, oh, this is the entrance to the garden and the office probably where... I'm already in the town of Ada. Uh, maybe I'll just go to the right and just follow this small path alongside their garden because if I go even more northeast... I'm going to be too far away. It's going to be too much of a walk. I've got two other shows to record today. So um, so thankfully that I wrapped it up. I was able to tell them about this being, for me, important because it was uh, my 25th anniversary of my priesthood, which is something you not often are able to tell on, on, on national TV. Plus, uh, that this was also, for me, a kind of a... A, a conclusion of this time of COVID where uh, I've suffered for for many months of the consequences of long COVID and, and for half a year I've been building up, building back my strength and this is going to be the ultimate crown on that effort and um, I remember deciding that and telling myself, you know, this is not the time to deploy new initiatives uh, to to try to do too much, you're moving. There is a huge life change. You're, you're staying uh, in in a in a house that isn't yours. Uh, you've got all the the the, the business uh, surrounding the renovation. 
it's now time to focus on your health. I, I need to get my health back. That's why I did so much research on sleep patterns and healthy habits. And, and all of that, I think, was now going to pay off during that race. And then we got going, and it was wonderful. The sun was shining. I was going really... I was feeling great. Um, sometimes I would be running a little bit too fast, but I've trained on on course correcting every every kilometer. So you get an update from my phone where it tells you your this is your overall pace, this is your heart rate. And I'm and this is the first time that I actually monitored my heart rate consistently and then when it went over 170, um, I knew that I had to slow down a tiny little bit because you can't have that super high high performance heartbeat for, for the entire race. That's actually much more important to monitor than, than the pace itself. And uh, there, there was a huge crowd surrounding you during a race like that. For the entire duration of the race, people from Rotterdam would be standing alongside the track and, and, and cheering you on. My name, my first name was written on the, uh, on the number that I attached to my shirt. So everybody was <laughs> calling me, hey, Roderick, come on, you can do it. <laughs> and every time I was like, okay, is this someone who just read my name? Or is this someone who knows me from TV? Because that also happened. That people would, would uh, like I would pass them by and, and uh, I would say hi. And then, and then behind me I would hear, isn't that the guy from TV? Oh my gosh, that's a priest from TV. <laughs> so that happened quite a, quite a few times, which is hilarious. And of course I cannot really stop and have a conversation. But, um, but it, was, it was really nice. So uh, this is the first race I ever ran without any moment of despair of uh, you know where 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 you're drained uh, the the man with the hammer you know this especially in Rotterdam there's this last the last 10 kilometers are dreaded by runners because it's not what you train for you never train for 42 kilometers you you go to a maximum of 30 and that's the volume the overall volume of kilometers that you run during a week that is making up for not doing this long 42 kilometer stretch during training so the 10 last kilometers is something you haven't done since your last race and in previous years that would almost kill me it's i don't think i've ever been able to run the marathon of rotterdam without walking part of that last those last 10 kilometers this time none of that I was just running, and I remember at one point I was turning the corner, and there was a live band, and they started to play um, I Feel Good. And that's something that is on my, you know, my, my daily Spotify list. So I listen to that music a lot, especially in the morning. I love that song. It's like, I feel good. I knew that I would. And so here I, all of a sudden, they start singing that song and then playing it. And I get chills. It's like, really, it's like, oh my gosh, this is the perfect song that I need to hear right now. Oh, I can't walk here. It says private. So I can't. I have to turn around. There's actually a tree, a fallen tree that's blocking the road as well. I don't know which goblins are hiding there in the woods, but let me turn to the right here. I'm walking over. I think this is actually a, normally a horse track. Because it's super muddy and uh, and kind of narrow, narrower than the lanes for the pedestrians. So that that, that music, I remember that moment where I was like, "But I feel good." It was the, this this explosion of joy. Like, I'm like, "Gosh, I'm almost there. I only have like five kilometers to go, and I can literally say, I feel good.'" And it was so encouraging. That was the best moment of the marathon. And I had a huge smile on my face. I usually have a smile on my face, but there, this was a huge grin. And those last kilometers um, were, were a breeze. And, that, and I was even vlogging while I was running. I'll edit it together when I have a moment. So you can, you can see the various moments. I, did, I didn't do a, like a full vlog, but just some impressions. And the final kilometers, I was even able to accelerate. So I could go over my normal pace. And so I finished and I was just so excited. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's over. 
And so it's this very weird thing where you, you're running for more than four hours and then all of a sudden, like, everything stops. And, of course, you, you need to do your obligatory selfie and then uh, film the medal and that sort of stuff. So I had some stuff to do, but, but it was strange. Like, all of a sudden, it's over and there's no one waiting for me there. There was actually Simone from the community was, uh, was cheering on a friend of hers. And so she was... Uh, she had um, uh, told me via Discord beforehand that she'd be standing in, in various locations. So that was fun to have some people during the race cheer me on. But then at the end, after the finish, there's really, really no one. There are just some other people that have finished around the same time as you. And then you don't know your time. Um, because this is kind of a staple ingredient for my marathon experiences. Of course, technology failed me again. Oh, look at this beautiful tree here. It's covered in green moss, and it's all... Like, I think it's dying. But it looks all, like, hobbity. Something that could be on the road to Rivendell. Actually, this entire path could just lead to to Rivendell. <laughs> looks the same. Of course, I'm not, I've never been to Rivendell in real life, but I've been in the video game, so... I don't know. <laughs> just triggers this memory. So... Uh, the, my phone at one point, I'm, I'm using the same app that I'm using right now while I'm doing my walk. Um, and it's also the app that I've been using consistently. It's linked to my, um, my watch so that has a heartbeat, what is it, heart rate meter. Um, so I've, I don't have a, like a separate watch that I can use independently of my phone. So um, I had this big phone in my pocket. Thankfully, I had shorts that had ample pockets for for stuff which is nice um but then uh during training there was never a problem so i was like so certain that this time it would work and then halfway literally halfway it just the app crashes and so and i have to restart it again and then it's like gives you all sorts of options and i was like dude i'm running a marathon right here (laughs) i have no time for this tech trouble right now uh so I just gave up on, on looking at the app. So I was just vaguely estimating my overall pace. I, I managed to restart uh, monitoring of the heart rate. So I could tell, I, I couldn't measure this, the, the pace anymore, but I could measure the heart rate. So that was basically what I was running on. So when I arrived, I had no idea what my end time would be. I felt good. And that, for me, was much more important than the actual time. And it was only later, when I was on the way back, I think, or even when I was back in, 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 um, in Benicom, uh at the rectory, that I, that I noticed that I had run a personal record. And I did the entire race in four hours, 13 minutes, and 11 seconds. And the previous run in Amsterdam, I think, was four hours, 20... 22 minutes something like that and I never thought I could beat it but I did and it and I had energy to spare so I think this is if I continue to train consistently next year I'm going to go under four hours that's what I'm going to that's going to be my new goal I want to go under four hours and maybe ultimately one day I'll be able to run like a Boston qualifier but I'll probably be too old to go to Boston for that run anyway. So. <laughs> but, um, but it was exhilarating. It was so gratifying. And just that phrase of, I feel good, made me so thankful. Because I did feel good. This was the week of my 25th anniversary. It was the week that I moved into the new home. I got curtains. The heating works. I have no internet yet, but I still feel good. So, man, that was a wonderful day. It was so, I was so happy. And when I was running the marathon, Father Henry was, um, uh, was doing his own festive marathon, uh, celebrating his anniversary. And, well, you know, he's, a, he's kind of, some, in some ways, the polar opposite of me, in the sense that he wanted to celebrate it with lots of people so he had like a festive mass with with a they built an entire tent in front of the church um he had a 
a dinner, like a super nice dinner in a restaurant with, a, uh, I don't know how many in, uh, in, uh, people that he invited and friends, and then they sang songs for him and sketches and whatnot. So, you know what? I was like, this, this is my way to celebrate. I'm celebrating um, the fact that after 25 years, I still feel so happy and thankful and grateful that I have my health back. And it's these simple things. I don't need a big party for that. I just need a moment where I can feel that I, that I have something to celebrate. And the training, of course, is, is a lot of work. And it's my effort. At the same time, it's, it's, a, to- it's a gift of God that I'm able to do this. When, when you walk through Rotterdam... You see every once in a while someone in a, in a wheelchair or, or uh, elderly people that um, can, can, you know, can barely walk and they have to support one another. I'm thinking, you know what, one day I, I may be in that situation. So it's not a given that you always have your health. It's, I'm getting older as well. So, um, but this was a day where I felt better than I felt in many, many months. And, and that is just amazing. It's so, I don't know, it's a wonderful gift. It's a really wonderful gift. As is living in my own home. Oh my gosh. I cannot start to tell you how much I've, I've, this has helped me to, to calm down again and to feel that I belong. It's weird. I've been kind of on the, on the run for feels like more than a year uh it's this this entire move was in a certain way could have been traumatic but i was also running towards something i was just not running away from a toxic situation there but i was running towards a house that was going to be a home and and i've seen it and i've shared with you time and again how much every step of the way it became more a home and this is the this is the most gratifying time where i can spend some time every day to arrange the kitchen to think about furniture and and make it really really nice um and and i've never had that luxury to have some time to think about how am i going to live here for the next years and and there is a, an important lesson that I'm learning through this process. And that is, uh, you know, of course, that I've been uh, trying with a lot of trial and mostly error to declutter and to simplify my life, not just in terms of material possessions, but also simplify the things that I do in life. Uh, A lot of the stress, a lot of the unhappiness always comes from kind of wanting more than than you need. (laughs) It's this conundrum where people are working super hard sacrificing their own well-being sometimes their health hello and uh to to make money to buy stuff they don't want to impress people they don't like and i'm thinking yes if I'm honest, that is, that is the most important process that I've been going through in the past few years, is realizing that so much that was, <clears throat> that a lot of the, the work that I was doing, and especially this, this killing pace at which I was living my life, was oftentimes not requested, it was not necessary. God did not want me to do that. I felt the need to do that to, I don't know, placate other people. And the more I'm, I feel that, well, now I'm actually, life, my life belongs to me, belongs to God. And it doesn't belong to all these other people that I try to please and try to cater to. I want to do in life what, what is my vocation, not just what other people project onto me. This is, this is so simplifying my life is... Uh, is it, I feel that now is the time. Now is the time to actually make that big step forward and, and dare to choose 
what is essential to, to my vocation and let go of the rest. Now, of course, this goes parallel with the whole process where actually that is going to happen um, because I've been in talks with uh, the, uh, the people at the broadcasting company and, you know, that they are preparing a new format and a different show. So my show is booted from TV. <laughs> so I'm in the last phase and I try to... Uh, mostly because the bishops wanted me to continue this program and want the broadcasting company also to continue. Um, I obediently talked to them and was looking for, you know, is there a way to continue this? Um, But personally, you know that I am ready for something else. Or actually, I'm not ready for something else. I'm ready to do what I do, but to do it for um, a broader audience than just... Dutch TV people uh, on Saturday. Uh, I want to invest in you, in this community that I've built up, that is kind of my, my, my digital parish in a certain way. Those people are my people. And sure, the people that watch my TV show are also part of a community, and, and, and some of them overlap, and they do also listen to my podcast. So there's nothing wrong with that, but... I cannot continue to sacrifice one community to another. I have to, <laughs> I want my life to be unified in a certain way and my efforts also to be unified. It has to be one mission. It's like you can't train for a marathon and at the same time, I don't know, do lots of uh, weightlifting and stuff. They, they always encourage you in training to, to choose your battle. And if you want to do something really well, like this marathon, you got to make the decision to let go of some other stuff. And uh, training for a marathon is all about sacrificing uh, in a good way. It's letting go of things that are not essential to really dedicate all your focus on and all your energy on, on this upcoming race. Knowing that the benefits outweigh the value of that what you are at least temporarily letting go. And I feel that that is the big challenge right now now that i know that well they don't want to continue the show and they're really uh, adamant about that this new format that's fine that i wish them all the best but i'm not going to beg for it you know i'm not going to so i had this conversation the other day with someone who uh encouraged me like this upcoming uh, monday there is a a meeting between the broadcasting company and some of the bishops and i'm also there part of an advisory council and of course the status of my show and also this new format that they want to do that's going to come up and I think that uh, well in the conversation uh, the the other person was was trying to find a, a, a way forward and you know like well maybe you can propose that instead of you know, or to replace your your current presence on TV, maybe you can just do like two series, two two shorter series of six six episodes, and then they can uh, repeat that during the summertime. So you would still have like twenty four episodes. Hello, uh, twenty four episodes uh, during the year, so your visibility won't be impacted by the fact that you're not involved in this new program. And, and, and maybe you should just go along with and, and do something in, in the format of that new show as well. Um, you know, they, they, they are pretty vague about what that could be. But uh, if you play along, then they can never tell, tell you, well, but, but he's refusing to cooperate, so we had to let him go. I'm like, I'm hearing well-intentioned projection in a certain way. Uh, so my... my uh, my my own position is, I don't need this TV work to to feel that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. In fact, I think that in previous years, too often the TV work has prevented me from from really um, unfolding my wings in a certain way. Uh, and I I also am very confident that I don't need it financially. Now this, of course. It's a 150,000 euro job that I have at the TV. So it's not something to uh, scoff at. 
Um, and when I say 150,000, that's the overall budget for the 30 episodes that I make. So every episode is 5,000. Um, I do 30. So in theory, if I would do everything myself, which is impossible, I, I would generate 150,000 euros. That, of course, has, has helped us build Tradio, has, uh, is now also able to... Um, Tridio is now basically my parish. They have taken over all the financial duties of the diocese. Um, they they are carrying the the part of the of the load of the the renovation uh, because they feel this responsibility, being the board and all. Like this, you know, the 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 church, in in this case, it's it's my bishop. Uh, wants me to work full-time in media and also wants us as an organization to take care of Father Roderick. So that's what we do. Now, we had uh, the, uh, the ability, of course, to, to cover those costs. But now that the big investment of the renovation is done, and let's be honest, we've also slimmed down quite a bit. Uh, we used to have four people working for Tridio. Now it's just me and Inge. I think is, uh, uh, is not full-time. Uh, what do I truly need? You know, <laughs> why, why would I work so hard on, on things? And that's one of my, the issues that I have with this work. And I'm, I'm really hesitant uh, when it comes to picking up, uh, hello, picking up uh, uh, another job, you know, in, in, in the context of this new program. Um, why would I spend so much time and energy in that when it's when it's not necessary? And I'm I'm confident that if I could build up uh, the worldwide audience through YouTube, through social media, um, I'm I'm going to be taken care of by my community. That's always been the case. There was a time where I was podcasting, and we were just running on everything on 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 our listeners uh, and so i've never doubted the, the the strength of this community and their support and because there's so many of them it's not a it's not a big deal but you have to just trust that a a big community can take take care of one priest so he can do his job so all that was in my mind when I was hearing, you know, well, maybe he could do this and make two series and and then uh, have a role in that new program. I'm thinking, you know what? This time I'm going to choose what I feel is essential to my mission. I'm going to make the programs that I want to make. And if they want to put that on TV, that's fine. But I'm not going to beg for it. I'm not going to come up with something that is... You know, likely to be approved by the broadcasting organization or matches their ideas of what should be done. Because that's not necessarily what I need to do. There was a weird thing in that conversation that he said, and that kind of somehow struck a nerve. I don't know why. At one point, he was saying, well, you should uh, really take this weekend to think about two ideas for those series. So during the meeting, you can... Uh, bring that up and it shows you that you've done your homework and then you you have to come up with some good ideas that will that lots of people would want to see on TV has to be relevant and something that is more appropriate to your age I was like I was thinking I was not reacting to that because only later I was like wait a minute did you just say you have that I had to do something that's more appropriate to my age what does that mean? What do you imply by that? I didn't ask him. But it, it just struck me. It's like, I immediately, I noticed that that one remark put me in people-pleaser mode. As if I was judged on the style of my current programming. That I was like, that was too, I don't know, too youthful or something. And I was like, I just ran a personal record in Rotterdam during a marathon, you know. I feel good. And... What is age? It's a number. You know, what does it mean, 25 years being a priest? It feels like yesterday that I've been ordained, and I hope that it will feel like yesterday for the rest of my life. You know, why would I 
it's like after afterwards i'm thinking ah he's trying to position me in this older demographic so if i make that's all theory of course i should have verified it but i, I, was, I was like why is this triggering me so much so maybe i'm interpreting this as uh, a recommendation or advice if if i would target more the older viewers that are currently my tv audience then maybe the broadcasting organization will have to see the benefit of having a priest that is doing like more serious programming for that group so it 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 caters to something they want to do or maybe it fills a uh, a hole in, in their own programming or something anyway it doesn't matter I'm not going to do something just because someone else thinks it matches the interests of another organization. I'm done with that. I know that my strength is in doing what I've been doing for the past 15 years and that I know people love and I know people like. And I've every time I did not listen to this sort of advice and I've had these these uh, interactions also with uh, someone else who is like sometimes when I would come up with this idea of let's do an episode about fairy tales and let me just go to those fantasy fairs and interview people and because storytelling and fairy tales and the bible it's so related to it's so akin I I know I can do a good show about that and he's like that's kid stuff that is not serious and like but trust me people are going to love this same thing for Currently, I'm editing uh, um, a few episodes that I filmed during my vacation in France, or actually two vacations. So it's leftover material. It's also because I didn't want to film everything in the Netherlands. Um, It's a ton of work because I just have some video clips, some vacation clips, and I need to kind of turn that into a story. So I made it pretty difficult for myself to, to turn that into something that is watchable. And... I know that people would be totally fine if I would just go and do another interview somewhere in the Netherlands. And, but I don't want to do that. It's, that's not fun. I loved being able to tell the story of Therese of Lisieux and why she has had such an impact. I didn't even go to Lisieux to film it, by the way. I think I've mentioned this before. I've got some friends in Scotland and they made um, a parish documentary where they actually went to Lisieux with their uh, priest and did some interviews. And I, I, I saw that and I'm like, wow, I think I can, I can cut that into something that would work for my TV show as well. Um, and, and so I've been working on that last week and it was so much fun. It was ugh, grueling because I had a deadline and, um, you know, I, I'm still spending a lot of... That's not a cat, by the way, that's a kid <laughs> on the shoulder of his father who's carrying him. He's, he must be tired. So he's protesting. Um, but uh, uh, the um, it was so fun to put that episode together. I'm going to make another one. I, I, oh, I, I wanted to say that normally, of course, I would take a few days to edit this. But this past week, I've had two visits. One of the electrician who needed to finish up his stuff. And uh, the radiator uh, company came to install some more stuff and um that basically destroyed my planning and i just didn't have margin to take more time so i i I stayed up for 24 hours started editing at eight o'clock in the morning and the next day at eight o'clock i was standing on a ladder connecting my old macbook air 11 inch with a wire to the router of the parish to get a stable enough connection to upload the show so it would be there and still they have a very well it's faster a more reliable internet connection than in in Wageningen at father henry's house but it's still very slow so around nine o'clock the show was uploaded and i was completely crushed but I'm doing what I love. I'm telling the story that I like. And I know that it's not necessary. I know that, 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 you know, 
They'd actually maybe even prefer me to do stuff just in the Netherlands for older people. But this is what I like. These are the stories that I like to tell. And I know from the reactions that I get from people that I meet, the target audience for my TV show, the people love those episodes in, in France and Italy and Rome. And that's the stuff that they, I've, the, the number of people that have told me how much they liked the three-parter that I did on my trip to China with my mom or the Camino de Santiago. They felt like they've been there with me. That's the kind of stuff that I want to do. And I don't care about the age of the people that are going to watch this. I also don't really care about how that reflect on, re- reflects on me. Um, I don't... Yeah, I'm kind of done... Uh, focusing on on other people's I don't know <laughs> ideas of course you have to listen and it, it was nice to have a back and forth about you know where the company is going and uh, what my place could be but I'm no longer feeling that as a like a holy duty for me to fulfill no 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 I have only one holy duty and that is to do what God wants me to do and I believe that uh, you have to get out of the way oftentimes and you have to get politics out of the way and uh, God has other priorities than a broadcasting company sometimes have, has and so if they don't want this hardcore Catholic content because that's how my TV show is regarded then that's fine that's their prerogative to think that I don't agree and I think it's important for our Dutch culture to also learn from the beauty of the Catholic tradition. But if they don't want to, I'm not going to force it upon them. By the way, I don't, I can't. I just don't have that power. But what I can do is to stick to my guns, to do what, what I believe is, is what I need to do. And just, just trust, trust that that will find its audience and that that audience, that community will be able to uh, support me and and if they love what I do, they want to help with that. I have no doubt about that. And it's the same kind of trust that you have to have when you're, when you're running a marathon, when you train a marathon. You know, it's scary that morning where it's super cold and it's like, oh, am I going to pull this off? And, 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 and my technology all, all of a sudden fails. And I don't know at what pace I'm running. I'm not doing what I'm doing during my training. But I am ready for this. I'm more than ready. This is going to go fine. That same courage is, I think, what is required of me now to trust that I am ready for this next step. I've been rehearsing, practicing my skills for 15 years now. I know how to make good TV. And I know how to tell good stories and do good interviews. And I also, and that's my biggest asset, I know how to translate Catholic culture and the Catholic um, faith to an audience that may not have anything in common with me. I know how to make it interesting. That's my thing. That's what I want to do. That's my, my, the question I have to ask myself is, how am I going to share my passion uh, and, and find the language that my, my target audience speaks? And preferably that target audience is an audience that I belong to. And that, that's, that's what I love so much about my media work, is that I feel that I, I have so much in common with the people that are part of, of the community around me. And that is, I know their language, but it's not necessarily the, the community of elderly people that that broadcasting company, you know, wants to target in their overall strategy. Blech. Who cares about that? Okay, you hear the cars passing me by. It's because I've left the woods now. And I'm uh, walking on the, on the sideways. Uh, the walkway back to my home. And this is a busy road. So you often have these cars passing by. Someone is repairing something in the backyard. Anyway, so... Um, I, I feel that it's all about trust and then, of course, eh, not letting yourself be pressured by 
external factors. Uh, so I know that this Monday is going to be an important meeting. But I'm telling, keep telling myself I have nothing to lose. I'm not there to beg. I'm not there to to uh, force myself into something that could please these people. No, if they want what I do, then they'll ask for it and they'll pay for it. If they're not interested, you know, it's not up to me to generate the demand. I'm done with that. Well, I've actually never done that, but that's just it's their loss, not mine. If they don't see me on TV anymore, I'll find I have many other venues to join my community. Whereas, you know, problem of, of traditional television. Wow, it's busy here. Um, is that they're kind of stuck on TV. They don't understand YouTube or TikTok or social media. Whoa, a big tractor. Going full speed with their big tires, the rubber tires that are making this weird noise on the concrete. Or the, the, the what is it? The, the road. So, in a, in a way, I have way more options than than most people that work in traditional media. And that's, that's exciting. That's really exciting. So I'm just calm and confident that uh, I'll find my place. And just as with the move to Benicom here, um, it's stressful to change your life, but it can also be extremely beneficial. I was talking about this the other day with uh, John and, and Maya, who came to visit me. They're good friends from Tilburg and uh, fellow geeks and movie lovers. And, uh, and they agreed with me that, you know, this is such a wonderful outcome of the painful process that, uh, that led to this. And that I keep telling myself that um, when, when you're forced to make a change and it's not your own, by your own volition... It's not necessarily a disaster. Just think of the most positive outcome possible. What would I love most for my life to be like next year? It's to be able to travel the world and make English documentaries for you. For YouTube to share that with the world. Um, about topics that I like to, to do stuff about, come up with formats. I Be my own... Uh, my own, my own brand in a certain way, own my content. That's another thing that I don't like about working for TV is you make something and you lose it. And after a few years, nobody can watch it because they put it behind a, a paywall. And because of the paywall, nobody cares for material that's been out there. So um, I'm done handing over the rights to my content to other companies even if they pay for it. I'm not interested. I want to be able to tell the stories that I tell and I want them to be able to help other people also five years from now. And it's like writing a book. You know, how crazy would it be if, if you would write a book as an author and then the company or the um, publisher would say, um, yeah, uh, for three years people can read this book and then we're just going to take it off the market and then nobody can read the book ever again. Unless on demand. No, no writer would accept that. In TV, this is very normal. Isn't that crazy? That's insane. Oh, there's the tractor again. Coming from the other side. Coming from behind me now. Oh, that's another one, actually. It makes the same sound. <laughs> so, uh, this is a pivotal moment in, in my life where... I feel that with the move here to my new home, uh, all these, these changes, I know where I stand. I feel good about what I do. And I'm just going for it. And I, I have no fear. I trust that the process that led me to this has been something that God wants. And so he'll take care of the future. And the only thing I need to do is to just continue the adventure and that's what I plan to do and then uh, we'll see I'll keep telling you what's happening but um, uh, was there anything else I wanted to say no uh, I'm gonna go home now and record uh, the two other podcasts uh, for those of you that are missing the live streams uh, 
um, it's all going to be good. <laughs> On the 4th of November, they're going to install the, the new fiber connection and I'll have Wi-Fi and, and also uh, wired connections upstairs. So I'll be able to do my Lego streams. I can, uh, uh, I can uh, stream my, my podcast recordings. Um, it's going to be better than, than in the past half year. So thank you so much for your patience and understanding. It's starting to rain, so I'm going to head inside. Thanks for listening. Take care and God bless.